0: Hello again. This is Tom Gaddick. Uh, In the third part of the total story of the development of Laphitograst as a treatment for dry eye, and in this segment I'd like to tell you about the clinical study of Laphitograst in dry eye patients. It was studied for for clinical signs and symptoms of dry eye in four pivotal clinical trials. The first of those clinical trials um, was phase 1. And the purpose of phase 1 is typically to look at the drug in normal, healthy volunteers, uh, all adults, uh, to determine the pharmacokinetics in tear and plasma, show that it's at high levels in tear and low levels in plasma, and then that difference is a uh, safety profile. The pharmacokinetics... um, are also intended in tier to support the dosing of a 5% solution twice a day. Uh, 5% dose administered in tier uh, achieves levels that are above 1 micromolar for a large portion of a day. What we also saw in the Phase one trial was no accumulation of drug in either tear or plasma. So, the drug administered is cleared within a 24-hour period or thereabout and doesn't build up over time. So, that leads to less concerns about safety. The uh, compound that did get out of the eye showed very rapid clearance in the systemic circulation, never got above about 10 nanomolar in plasma. And that's not not enough to affect the function of any T cells the the uh, overall the overall trial showed um, no unanticipated safety events no dose limiting safety was observed. Uh, we then, without further ado i'm going to say goodbye to the to the phase one study uh, trial and move on to uh, phase two, which is our first effort to demonstrate efficacy in patients. These are all dry eye subjects um, and Overall, we achieved in this study, uh, in this trial, uh, safety and efficacy. We reached uh, statistical significance in the suppression of corneal staining. That's generating a p-value of less than 0.05. We also saw statistical significance and strong trends in key secondary endpoints that were both signs and, and symptoms. And the dose response was observed in in, um, the efficacy portion. We looked at a a broad range of of doses, crossing 50-fold in in concentration, and saw stronger response in the higher dose. Um, And overall, it appeared safe in this trial. There were no unexpected uh, safety events or dose-limiting toxicities. We then moved on to Phase 3. There are three Phase 3 trials. And um, those are all set up first with the first one called Opus 1. It was designed to confirm the sign that we had seen in the Phase 2 trial. uh, And it did. It reached statistical significance for um, not only corneal staining, but also some key symptoms. Uh, And at this time, they were all secondary uh, endpoints. And then, again, it, it, it appeared to be quite safe. At the end of the OPUS-1 trial, Shire Pharmaceuticals came in and purchased Sarcode. And at the time, the OPUS-2 trial was ongoing. And they ultimately came in, finished out that trial, and then uh, started a final Phase Three uh, efficacy trial that was OPUS-3. Uh, those all those two studies or those two trials um, confirmed the symptom endpoint, and then combined with the earlier Opus One and Phase Two trials, allowed us to uh, file with the FDA for approval for both symptom and sign. The final Phase Three trial was the Sonata trial, which was a long-term safety trial went out to one year, looked at the effect in patients, looked at safety endpoints only. So, I'm going to go through each of the individual um, trials and talk to you about exactly what we were trying to do and why, and what the results were in a lot more detail than I just went into. So, the Phase two trial was the first time we took it into people. We weren't sure what dose to do, what dose to use. So, we looked at it against placebo or vehicle, And we looked at three different concentrations of drug across a 50-fold range of concentration. In a typical Phase two trial, the first study in patients, the design of the clinical trial is is the key to your success. And we thought we understood Lofitogras as a potent anti-inflammatory, but we were uncertain what we had seen in, in vitro Preclinically would would uh, transfer to in vivo in the clinical trial. Um, in putting together a clinical trial, you need to identify patients. So you'll look at a group of potential patients, and in this in this panel um, on the far left, there's two and a half patients, or two severe patients and one mild patient, moderate patient in a population of about 50 people. That's about the relative uh, abundance of, of patients in the general population, around 5% or so. Uh, what we want to do is identify them, group them together into our clinical trial, um, enroll them, and then treat with drug. And the protocol for the, for the, stu- for the trial shows that um, they are treated across 3 months. And at the end of three months, we then look at that population of what were patients and see what percentage of them have improved and see if any of them have improved back to normal. This is kind of a criteria that the FDA uses, certainly in ophthalmic diseases. They like to see the patients return into the range of normal for any clinical measurement. So, the Phase two trial ongoing, as I said, we were looking to do a dose exploration to establish clinical effect with the compound. We wanted to make sure we looked at a wide enough window to see an effect of the drug. If we study three doses that all have no effect, then we're in trouble. Um, We were going to measure both signs and symptoms of dry eye. And we were hoping to be able to get out of this a dose that we could take forward into a Phase three trial. Um, The signs and symptoms will divide up into secondary and primary um, signs and symptoms. And in a clinical trial, you have to then specify what your primary endpoints are and your secondary endpoints. The FDA will only consider efficacy in a pre-specified primary endpoint when you go to file for approval of the drug. Um, in, the, in the selection of patients, we, they, they were enrolled in this trial based on some experience they had with a controlled adverse environment and its effect on both their symptoms and their signs. Um, this shows a controlled adverse environment. It's a room where there's laminar flow of warm air, and that puts stress on your corneal surface. The, the um, patients or, are allowed to then do a visual task, typically watching a movie on a flat panel screen that's slightly above their heads, so they have to look up and then all this warm, dry air is going over them, they tend to blink less when they're watching a movie, and this stresses the cornea and sets them up for a dry eye event. So, it's, it's the equivalent of a treadmill. You know, in a cardiac study, it's the equivalent of a treadmill for dry eye. Um, we worked with a company called Aura out of Andover, Andover Massachusetts, that has a proprietary uh, controlled adverse environment room. And uh, we used that... Patient selection, and we also use them because they're the the system in which they can run a trial uh, seems to take a lot of the random noise out of the study, and that's very helpful in being able to see a signal. So the the um, part of the design of the of the phase two trial involved the actual formulation of the drug, and uh, in order to be able to see the effect of the drug and the drug alone. We wanted to keep the formulation as vanilla or bland or non-therapeutic as we possibly could. And basically, we used water that was isotonic material, essentially PBS containing the drug. And we did not want any lubricating components in the formulation. Um, we believe that in the allergan restasis trials that the lubricating character of their formulation caused them big problems in the trial where they couldn't see the activity of the drug before about six months in patients. And so then, because we're not going to put it in the formulation, we don't want patients using any supplemental lubricating drops during the study. As I mentioned earlier, we needed to pre-specify which sign and which symptom we were interested in we were declaring for the FDA in each trial. Um, We chose fluorescein staining. On a zero to four scale, because it looks at defects in the in the ocular surface, and uh, we believe that that correlates with some of our preclinical uh, in vitro studies on the inhibition of T cells. Uh, there are multiple multiple secondary endpoints. So in the f- in the first phase two trial, we looked at everything we could possibly cast a wide net, and for symptoms. Uh, We focused on the OSDI, or Ocular Surface Disease Index, which is a questionnaire patients get. It's one that's been validated in a number of dry eye trials, and so we stuck with that. Um, And there are other other things we did look at as well in terms of uh, patient-reported sensations of burning or scratchiness. Uh, Eye dryness is another one. And so then the challenge is to pick one symptom and one sign and hang your hat on that. We chose uh, corneal fluorescein staining um, and the change from baseline to day 84 as the primary sign. And this... this uh, measures the epithelial barrier function and the imperfections show up as stained areas on the cornea. Uh, It's known in the disease that cytokines from T-cells inhibit uh, the epithelial barrier function and can kill individual epithelial... uh, corneal epithelial cells. And we do know that Lephidograst can block... from in vitro studies, we know that it can block T-cell inflammatory cytokine secretion. So, this all made sense. The mechanism of action of Lephidograst fits in with this clinical measure of the sign. So, we went with that. In the Phase two trial, uh, very, very interestingly, we saw um, a dose response where placebo... placebo in the white on the left um, has a certain level of activity in in this mean corneal... uh, mean inferior corneal staining. So, the inferior cornea is this little pie-shaped piece of your cornea on the lower half of your eye sort of from 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock, if you would. And what you see here is in the left panel that the placebo has no effect. Um, And then you see a dose titration, 0.1% to 5%. You see an increasing effect, decreasing the level of staining observed. And then um, if you look at it as the mean change from baseline... Uh, which is what's specified in the protocol, you see even better results. And we did reach statistical significance in both the 1% and 5% dose strengths. We then looked at the symptom, and in this case, we're using the uh, OSDI uh, measure, and we've broken it down to a subset of visual related OSDI subscore within the ocular surface disease index. Uh, we saw data trending with dose for uh, secondary endpoints that were ocular discomfort and eye dryness. Overall, we um, did uh, decide that again this data supported five percent uh, as the phase three trial dose so then, uh, in summary, Lafittorasst in phase two trial showed. Um, biological effect in patients. That's always heartening. We saw a dose response in signs uh, that was statistically significant for fluorescein-inferior uh, corneal staining, so the lower quadrant on your on your cornea. And uh, we saw strong trends in other signs that did not necessarily reach uh, statistical significance, but included total, col- total corneal staining, lysamine uh, conjunctival staining, And then that Schirmer tear test, where they measure the amount of of fluid that you can get onto a piece of paper in five minutes. Overall, um, we saw a dose response in symptoms. It was statistically significant for the OSDI uh, subset of of visual-related questions on the the questionnaire. And then there were strong trends in uh, what's called ocular discomfort. So, questions around, you know, how uncomfortable are you uh, before getting your dose and then after several months of dosing. Uh, Neither of those endpoints was pre-specified as a primary endpoint. These were for our information only. Um, We didn't see any unexpected safety issues as as similar to the Phase one trial. That's nice. And uh, we decided to take the 5% dose forward into a Phase three trial. The Phase 3 program studied leftograst in four separate Phase 3 trials. They were Opus 1, Opus 2, Opus 3, and Sonata. Opus 1 through Opus 3 were efficacy studies where we were looking at, at pre specified endpoints. Um, all of these Phase 3 trials used a common protocol across uh, all of the trials, the, certainly the Opus 1, 2, and 3 trials. And um, very little modification of the... of the protocol was done in that. The Lefitigrast Opus 1 Phase 3 trial had this common uh, protocol, as shown here graphically. There's a period of uh, a wash-in or screening where patients for two weeks come in. If it's deemed that they do, in fact, have the disease, they're sent home with... with just vehicle or placebo and they're instructed to administer it to their eye twice a day, one, one drop in each eye twice a day. And to do that for 14 days, they come back. We put them back in the chamber, in the, in the uh, uh, controlled adverse environment chamber, and we measure again. They, to get into the trial, they have to show a difference of one point on the scale in uh, worsening of the disease when they go into the chamber, And in this case, they come back two weeks later, we want to still see that one-point difference in symptom and sign on a 0-4 to scale, typically. Um, As they come out of the chamber, we want them them to have gotten worse by one unit. Um, Then we take them... if If they don't repeat or if they've responded to the administration of just the vehicle, they're cut out of the trial, Patients that meet the enrollment then are given drug and sent home, and they fall into two groups, either placebo or 5% lupitograst. They're to give themselves drug twice daily as a single drop to each eye for three months. And in this study, there were roughly 300 patients in each of these groups. The goal of the of the trial was to confirm statistical significance that we had seen in the inferior corneal staining, um, in the phase 2 trial, and uh, secondarily to establish significant, statistically significant effect on uh, the primary visual-related OSDI uh, subscale, or on secondary ocular discomfort or and/or eye dryness. Those latter two are scored on a 0 to 100 visual analog scale. This is typical in a patient-reported study where you'll give them a scale that's arbitrarily, let's say, 5 inches long, and they are to draw a line across it where they think their symptom is between 0 and 100. Um, The design overall is identical to the Phase two, And uh, the first results from the OPUS-1 trial showed that um, there was shown in, in the black bars a decrease in... Uh, staining of the cornea, inferior cornea, and that indicated an improvement in the cor- cornea funct- barrier function or integrity. We did reach statistical significance, less than 0.05. Um, and similar to phase two, if combined with the phase two uh, results for inferior corneal staining, we now have two well controlled studies that demonstrates statistical significance with a p-value of less than 0.05, and that's sufficient to submit to the FDA. At this point, we could have gotten filed with the FDA and gotten approval for just the treatment of the sign, but we were hoping to get treatment of the symptom as well in approval by the FDA. So, uh, again, the, the OPUS-1 trial showed statistical significance in corneal staining, and it confirmed the results from, from Phase two. In the symptom side of things, uh, we saw that both eye dryness and um, ocular discomfort improved in, in over time and with uh, presence of drug relative to the control vehicle or placebo. But we were unable to replicate the results we had seen in the Phase two trial, for the OSDI VR subscore. Um, We were a little dismayed by that. It didn't reach any statistical significance. In the safety portion of the OPUS-1 trial, what we did see was, again, no unanticipated or serious ocular safety events, very similar to what we'd seen in Phase One, Um, We did look a little more at the ocular uh, safety. And the most common adverse events were a sense of stinging where you put the drug in right at the time that you put the drug on, particularly with the first dose on day one. It seemed to go away over time with more and more doses. Um, in, in the trial, uh, 96% of the patients stayed in the trial across the whole three-month period, which is an indication that the irritation wasn't severe enough to drive people away. Again, tolerated pretty well. The non-ocular uh, side effects or, or adverse effects in, included dyskusia, which is a sense of taste. The drug administered to your eye will drain down um, from your eye into your nose and then through your tear ducts, and then reach the back of your throat, where you might actually be able to, to taste it. The um OPUS II trial was intended to uh, confirm the sig- statistical significance that we had seen on eye dryness. Again, we think we have the, the clinical sign of corneal fluorescein staining in the bag. We don't need to show that again. Um, and uh, in this case, in, in the OPUS II trial, um, the eye dryness score is now the uh, pre-specified primary endpoint in this study. So, it's moved up from a secondary endpoint in Opus 1 to the primary in Opus 2. The results showed here that um, we were able to see eye dryness uh, separate into statistically significant difference in change in mean uh, from baseline to day 84. So, this is the pre-specified endpoint it confirmed the statistically significant effect on eye dryness seen in Opus 1. So that was very good. And in this case, it's pre-specified. So it's data we can talk to the FDA about. Um, We also uh, saw that the study demonstrated signs and symptoms of dry eye are independent endpoints at this point because we see a divergence with uh, the corneal staining showing an improvement, but not reaching statistical significance. So, the, the corneal staining uh, we see as a demonstration of efficacy is judged by mean change from baseline. Um, and we see it as an improvement to day 84. But uh, overall, it did not reach statistical significance. So, we're not going to be able to use this as part of our package with the FDA as one of two, two studies that shows uh, statistically significant benefit. However, we think we already have those from the Phase two and Opus I trials. Uh, we then looked at safety as well in this opus Two trial again, as with the previous ones, we saw no an- no unanticipated or serious ocular safety f- events. Um, the ocular safety uh, or uh, concerns included uh, installation site complaints. Again, we had seen that in... in, uh, we had seen that in Opus 1. And these were more common on day 1 than on day 90 at the end of the study. And what we saw also was that 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 report or that discomfort for the individual patients seemed to fade after a few minutes, certainly less than 5 minutes. And it also faded over time as the drug was dosed day after day for 90 days. Uh, overall, the retention rate of patients in the study or in the trial was 96%, meaning that 4, 4% of the patients dropped out. Um, there, so, that's pretty good that everybody hung in there. There were no serious ocular treatment, emergent adverse events, uh, so-called TEAEs, nothing related to drug that got to the serious level. And again, on the non- non-ocular side, dyskusia was the most common thing now measured at about 16% of the patients in this trial. Overall, the results are very, very similar to OPUS 1. We went and did OPUS 3. And in this, the goal was to to confirm the statistically effect... statistically significant effect uh, on eye dryness from OPUS 2. The design, again, was was identical to OPUS 1 and OPUS 2 and um, the controlled adverse environment was not used for uh, patient enrollment. And uh, in the opus 3 trial, what we saw was that eye dryness, as shown here in this table and also these uh, bar graphs, if you would, uh, shows that, in fact, you get a lessening in favor of Zydra, the uh, trade name for lafitograste. You get a lessening of the sense of eye dryness, as reported by patients on a visual-analog scale from 0 to 100. This confirmed the statistically significant effect that we had seen in OPUS II, and as reported as a mean change from baseline for the eye dryness score. We also saw that corneal staining um, did improve as well, in Opus 3, although in Opus 3, corneal staining was in fact a secondary endpoint, um, but again, an improvement there, and this, concern, con- this confirmed the efficacy that had been observed in Opus 1 and Opus 2. Looking closer, um, and in summary, for the f- for the four trials or that we're talking about, the phase 2, Opus 1, Opus 2, Opus 3. Uh, shown here, phase 2, upper left, and opus 3, lower right, of this panel, uh, shows an improvement favoring Zydra, which is the trade name for lefitagrass, for all four of these trials. The mean change from baseline, the dot, in these graphs at day 84, or to day 84, appears left of the horizontal dashed axis. So that's an improvement. It's in the green zone that that I've accentuated in uh, the lower left panel. So this is good. Uh, In four separate trials, we've seen an improvement in the eye dryness score. Um, The first two, phase two and opus one, the eye dryness score was not pre-specified. And in the latter two, it is. So again, we have now data that we can go to the FDA with that replicates in two well-controlled studies the same statistically significant effect um, in the symptom. Uh, Now, looking at the sign, which is uh, inferior corneal staining, uh, what we see here is very similar. All four trials show a positive benefit for the drug. It reaches statistical significance in three of the four trials but the fact that it shows uh, benefit in all four trials is impressive. If you were to think about this as a binary event, that it either works or it doesn't work, and you can think about that as a coin flip, if you were to flip a coin four times and get heads every time in the green zone here, then that the probability of that from your first flip to your last flip is is 1 out of 16 times that you do that. You should see uh, 4 positive outcomes. So, this is an indication that uh, even the statistically not significant effect seen in OPUS 2 is, in fact, probably real. We went into a safety trial. And uh, here, the drug was administered for up to 1 year. Uh, the, the patients were dry eye subjects. The efficacy endpoints, symptom, and sign were not measured Uh, in this. We were purely looking for safety endpoints. Interestingly, uh, the installation site irritation continued, uh, also voiced as a reaction. There were some reports, as an adverse endpoint, that uh, visual acuity was reduced for some patients. And even more interestingly, what you see is that for dry eye, patients getting placebo reported more of a sensation of dry eye than patients receiving drug. Why that might indicate the drug actually worked. Uh, Dyscusia, again, um, continued to be the most common treatment-emergent adverse event. uh, And there were no overall... overall, there were no serious ocular... TEAEs. So, the drug is looking reasonably safe uh, and efficacious in patients out to a year. Uh, This just shows some more data uh, that discontinuations from the trial were slightly higher, 8% versus 5.5% for placebo, and um, that the common... uh, TEAEs that led to this discontinuation were similar to what we had seen across the general patient population. Interestingly, if on day day one or day zero the first dose of the drug in this trial is given and patients report some discomfort at the the installation site, that TEAE is transient. You can see that after three minutes it's down by about 50% in terms of the intensity or the mean mean comfort score. And then on the last day of the trial, if you look, the the overall highest reported or, or mean uh, comfort score was only 2, so it's down from a level of 3 on day 1. And it follows the same trend, that it drops to less than 50% at about 3 minutes. So, it this discomfort seems to be... Uh, the discomfort upon application seems to be transient. Overall, safety summary from the large study incorporating all the trials we've talked about um, showed that Lofitogras 5% seems to be safe and well-tolerated in dry eye patients for out to a year. There are no unexpected TEAEs um, in in any of these uh, trials and in the larger overarching study. Um, The safety profile, similar to both Opus 1 and Opus 2, continued into Opus 3, and then in the larger Sonata safety trial showed very good safety profile. And the same sort of safety uh, signals came up, installation site irritation and uh, dyskusia. Withdrawal from therapy was low. Uh, people were pretty happy overall, appeared to be pretty happy. Uh, withdrawal from burning is very low, at 0.9%. This may contrast to historical data for restasis, where it's closer to 15 to 20%. Um, and there were no ocular or systemic signs of opportunistic infections. If you inhibit T cells that are vigilant for bacterial or other infections, you might expect that you might see some opportunistic infection. But again, that's just a theoretical concern. And the low systemic exposure we saw in plasma from the systemic uh, sampling showed that, or predicted, that there would be a very low risk of of, uh, opportunistic infection. And we were pleased to see that that carried through. Um, One potential emergent TEAE that was observed progressively across the development and dosing of Lofitograst is I developed gray hair from worrying about all of this stuff for close to 10 years. Um, So, where's Lofitograst today? Uh, I think the science is done. It's been phenomenally successful. We've published as much as we possibly could to try and get this out there. Um, We found that in vitro was predictive of in vivo if we kind of interpreted things correctly. I think our decision that uh, in vitro the could inhibit cytokine secretion and that we expected that to be seen in the clinical sign of corneal staining, measuring the integrity of the corneal surface, was in fact true. Mechanism of action helped us to, studies helped us to uh, pick the clinical endpoints. So, the FDA uh, approved the drug, thankfully, on July 11th. Um, I was blissfully unaware. They, the report was they were going to consider approval by July 22nd. And all of a sudden, July 11th, my phone started going off. Uh, texts, calls, all kinds of things from people. Very... Very emotional moment, Uh, very gratifying. The FDA granted approval for both symptoms and signs eye dryness and uh, fluorescein corneal staining inferior. And then Shire has begun marketing the drug as of August 2016. It has the trade name Zydra with two eyes. Jennifer Aniston is a spoke, spokesperson for it. A uh, number of commercials in, in I Love patient education campaign uh, have been noted on television, uh, particularly in the August time frame. And um, initial sales reports from um, from the Shire website indicate that sales are strong. It, it looks like the first month that Zydra... Uh, cornered about 16% of the market. That's pretty good for a start. Very early on in the first talk of these three talks, this being the third, I said that, you know, the the advice that I got very early on from colleagues who I said I was considering starting a company, they all uniformly advised to get a good lawyer. I could not have done this alone, and the greatest burden was carried by Team SARCODE members, uh, particularly John Bernier, Chuck O'Neill, Mary Newman, Charlie Semba, and Quentin Oswald and Todd Creech. Uh, not to diminish everyone else's, those people carried a lot of the load. Uh, the investors were very, 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 very helpful. They stood behind us. They still stand behind us. And then a number of people gave their time freely along the way uh, to help me work out some of the thoughts that we had. And uh, their, their advice was invaluable. Their time was invaluable. And then we used a number of contract research organizations who worked with us very, very well, helped us, you know, we would explain what we were worried about, and they would help us get over it. Um, and uh, that's it. I, I think that between these three talks, what I've tried to convey is that we did quality science, we published it, Um, And then we used our judgment on data from quality experiments to make decisions on which way to go. In that manner, I believe that scientists can predict the future. And Chuck O'Neill and I, when we sat on the bench at Pete's in 2006 and looked down the road, we saw the approval, at least the, the way to get to approval. And I think that's the beauty of doing science. You can predict the future. Thank you.